welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. As you notice there, we have a little bit different theme music than normal. Uh, what you've been listening to for the past 30 seconds or so is actually the opening theme music from the 1939 universal horror classic The Son of Frankenstein, starring Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, Basil Rathbone, and a bunch of other great folks. It's actually my favorite of the universal horror series and my favorite of the Frankenstein films, so I thought it most appropriate to do that today because uh, we have a special guest with us. Uh, before I introduce our special guest, I want to say a couple things here. Um, most of you know me as a big Marx Brothers fan and know that I worked for Groucho Marx back in the 1970s when he was very old. But when I was younger than that, um, in the 1960s, I grew up in Southern California, and I spent a lot of my spare time watching KTLA Channel 5, and they would air a whole lot of the original Universal Horror films, and I really liked those as a young young kid, like seven, eight, nine years old, watching Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman and all those great movies. That was just great to me, and I know a lot of other of my classmates at the same time were also watching those things. And a lot of those classmates and a lot of those people from that time period uh, who grew up in those movies are still very, very fond of them today. And they remain very, very popular today. Uh, our special guest for the day is Miss Sarah Karloff, the, the daughter of Boris Karloff. And before I bring Sarah on, to do an interview here and talk to you, you on the Good Old Days radio show. I have a little thing I would like Sarah to listen to. Um, the inspiration to do this series for October, and we're in October, it's Halloween month, and so we're going to salute Boris Karloff all throughout the month of Halloween and his radio career. And kind of the inspiration to do this was a few months ago, we were playing an episode of Quiet, Please, the great radio horror show written by Willis Cooper, who also happened to be the writer of the screenplay for Son of Frankenstein. And on this particular broadcast, it's called Rain on New Year's Eve, and it's kind of an autobiographical episode in which he's reminiscing about his days writing screenplays in Hollywood. And he makes a particular reference to Mr. Karloff and the film Son of Frankenstein on this particular show. And I wanted to let Sarah hear this before we bring her on. So here we go. They got Ollie Tharp to play the goon. Nice fella, quiet, always grinning, modest, good actor. Last guy in the world you'd expect to play a monster. Oh, yeah, sure. Karloff did the Frankenstein thing, and he's the mildest-mannered guy in the world. I remember him on the Son of Frankenstein set years ago in his monster suit all gray and green, showing pictures of his new baby to people. <laughs> That's a laugh. Well, I, I guess monsters are human sometimes, huh? Yes, monsters are human sometimes. And with that little uh, commentary from Willis Cooper about uh, seeing Mr. Karloff bring pictures of his newborn daughter to the set of Son of Frankenstein... I present to you all Miss Sarah Karloff, Boris's daughter. Welcome to the good old days of radio show, Sarah. 
Thank you, and hello to everybody listening. Had you ever heard that little clip before of Willis Cooper talking about your father? No, I never had. That was that was fun to listen to. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. I, that was really really cute. So when uh, he was shooting Son of Frankenstein, uh, I guess that's when you were born. Is that correct? That's right. I was born while I was doing the film, and um, he there. There's stories going around that he left the set in full costume and and came to the hospital, but that was not the case at all. Oh, he came and he came to the came to the hospital in his typical British um, clothing. Okay, you remember that? No, I don't. I've seen <laughs> photographs. I've seen photographs of a nurse holding me and my father looking very dapper. Okay, but some studio publicist thought it would be a great idea to say he went to the to the hospital in full Frankenstein costume, right? That's right. That's right. And I think the fans um, know better than that, but they did believe it for quite a while. <laughs> well, that's a, it makes a cute story no matter what. It, it made good press. It that's made good right. press. But see, here's the truth is he was on the set showing pictures of you as a baby. That's a better story, actually. I know. I know. I love that story. Um, when you were um, young, growing up in, in Hollywood, I presume you grew up in Hollywood. I don't know a lot of this, so I know something about your father, but I'm going to depend on you to tell me what the real scoops are here. Okay. All right, That's so you, you grew up in Hollywood, correct? No. <laughs> no. Okay, see, I'm wrong already. Where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Hollywood, lived in Beverly Hills, and actually grew up in, in San Francisco. Oh, Okay. So he was living in San Francisco at the time? No. Um, actually, my folks were divorced when I was seven. Oh, and okay. I moved, to, I moved to San Francisco with my mother. But I spent my first um, seven, eight years in Beverly Hills with my mother and father. Yeah. I know everyone asks you about your father, and of course I will. But how about tell us a little bit about your mother and what she was like? Uh, my, my mother was not in the business, actually. Um, she graduated from UC Berkeley as a librarian, and um, both she and my father were voracious readers. And my father uh, read um, all his life, as did my mother. But my father's favorite author was Joseph Conrad. Do you remember if, like, when your friends would come to the house, if your father would be trying to scare them, or if he'd just be like <laughs> a normal father? Just like a normal father. My father was the antithesis of the roles he played. He was a, um, a typical British gentleman. He was uh, funny. He was uh, soft-spoken. He was a wonderful listener. Um, he was. He, he just could not have been more different than the roles he played. And he was a lovely, lovely human being. So in, when you became a teenager, he wasn't trying to scare off your boyfriends. <laughs> no, indeed, he was not. No, he, was, he, just, he just was um, very funny, um, very well-educated, very well-read, very articulate. Um, he just could not have been more different than the roles he played. All right, since this is a program all about vintage radio shows... I'm going to ask you to reach way back in your memory as far as you can go and tell me when you were growing up what radio shows you like to listen to. Well, I actually like to listen to his radio shows. 
um, until I got caught listening to them. <laughs> and and I, to, to this day, um, it's it's well known that I don't like scary movies. I Now I don't like scary. I, I enjoy scary radio, oh. but I don't like scary movies. Okay, so you don't watch Frankenstein and the, those early things that he did. I don't consider them scary. Ah, okay. <laughs> I don't really... Um, I like good brain food, and I think these old-time uh, radio programs and um, some of my father's older movies are really good brain food. I think they leave um, a lot up to the audience's imagination. I'm surprised at the um, wonderful twists and turns that old-time radio took, and they leave an awful lot up to the imagination of the listener, and I really enjoy that. But I do not like things that go bump in the night and jump out <laughs> at you. Okay. I one time licensed a, um, uh, I've licensed several haunted houses, and I had to go through one of the ones that I had licensed, and and, and they, I said, I'll do it if you leave all the lights on. <laughs> and I stood at the entrance, and I said, now listen, everybody, you jump out at me and scare me and you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back to the question, what, let's, let's try this. What was your favorite radio show during that time when you were growing up? Inner Sanctum. Ah, okay. Inner Sanctum. This coming from someone who just said she doesn't like things that go bump in the night. Okay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Inner Sanctum, what else? Anything else that sticks out to you? Do you, ever, you don't remember the show Quiet, Please, I guess. No, I really don't. Do you remember Lights Out at all? From uh, Yes, yes. But I, I, I remember it from listening to it as more as an adult. And just recently, I, uh, I listened to um, Birdsong for a Murderer, and I never anticipated the twist. Okay, well, and we're going to play that I one, just, so let's save your comments so I, on I that. Won't, <laughs> I won't give it away, but I just really never saw it coming. Okay, good. Uh, so, Inner Sanctum, did you like the, um, the comedy programs or anything like that growing up? Oh, I love, I love comedy. Okay. I really enjoy comedy, and um, uh, Young Frankenstein just put me in the aisles laughing. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was that was my my favorite of the modern day Frankenstein films. Yes, Mel Brooks Absolutely. did a great job with that. Oh, any I love anything Mel Brooks does. Uh, did you ever attend a radio broadcast as it was being done? No, you know, I never did. I was fortunate enough to visit some of his um, television work and some of his film work, but I was really pretty young when he was doing most of his radio work. Well, do you I, remember I was, any of them in particular that stood out? Oh, um, he was on a Batman. and I, Batman I with Adam Batman. West? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I took some neighbors with me. And we had all, of course, been told to be quiet. And I was accustomed to being quiet on the set. But one of my neighbors that went with me just couldn't keep her mouth shut. And she just, and she said, oh, in one of the, they had to do a 
They had to do a re retake right away um, because she just she couldn't keep her she couldn't keep her emotions quiet. So the first one we're going to play today is a comedy. Lady Esther Screen Guild players, uh, Arsenic and Old Lace. Um, oh, I love Arsenic and Old Lace. This is an interesting version of it. It's, of course, the play itself and the film ran a couple hours, but they condense it down to a half an hour for this uh, radio program. I had heard your father, and we, we are playing this as part of this series, do an episode of the Spike Jones radio show. And he does comedy on that show, and it, it shows people that he can definitely do other things other than play monsters and creepy people. He can play great comedy as well. And this particular episode of the Lady Esther Screen Guild Players demonstrates that also. So um, we're going to listen to the program, and then I will ask you some for some comments about it when we're done. Okay. Here we go. Screen Guild Players. Uh, the date on this show was November 25th, 1946. It stars Boris Karloff along with Eddie Albert, who went on to be uh, in Green Acres in the 60s. It also has Verna Felton and Jane Morgan and Joseph Kearns on the show with Mr. Karloff. So here we go. Tonight, Lady Esther has the pleasure of bringing you one of the famous hits of our generation, Joseph Kessel Rings, Arsenic and Old Lace, originally produced on Broadway by Russell Krauss and Howard Lindsay. It stars Boris Karloff from the original cast and one of Hollywood's most popular young actors, Eddie Albert. And here they are, appearing with the Lady Esther Screen Guild players in Arsenic and Old Lace. You could ask anybody in that section of Brooklyn, and they all would tell you the very same thing. The neighbors, the minister, Dr. Harper, even O'Hara, the cop on the beat. You mean them two old Brewster sisters? Why, there ain't two sweeter little ladies in the world. Too bad, though, about that nephew of theirs. Too bad, he's sort of... Charge! Charge! Follow me, men! Up Sandwood Hill after Teddy Roosevelt! See what I mean? <laughs> But the Brewster sisters have another nephew, Mortimer. He's dramatic critic on a New York paper. And he's always considered himself quite sane until tonight. And Abby, Aunt Martha, I have news for you. I'm going to marry Elaine Harper. Oh, Mortimer, how nice. Our minister's daughter. Really, Mortimer? We ought to celebrate. Not tonight, darlings. I've got to pick up Elaine and get back to town. Have to cover a play tonight. Well, I do hope it's something you'll like for once. What's the name of it, dear? Murder Will Out. I'll bet I can write the review without even seeing it. I always said you were talented, dear. Same old tripe. When the curtain goes up, first thing you see is a dead body. Well, maybe you won't actually see it. It'll be hidden somewhere, like in this window seat. Then someone will come on, walk in sort of casually, lift the cover up of the window seat like this. And... Why, Mortimer, dear, what's the matter? Aunt Abby, Aunt Martha, there's a dead man in there. Now, look, aunties, let me say it again slowly. There's a body in the window seat. Yes, dear, we know. You know? Well, of course. Oh, honestly, I never thought Teddy would ever get... Listen, 
You were planning to send him to that, that sanitarium, Happy Dale? Yes, dear, it's all arranged. Elaine's father brought the papers over this afternoon. Here they are, all ready for Teddy to sign. Well, he's got to sign them right away. Tonight! If they ever found out he's killed a man, they'll... Oh, Teddy didn't do that. He did He didn't? Now, Mortimer, just forget about it. Forget you even saw the gentleman. Forget? We never dreamed you'd peek. But... But who is he? His name is Hoskins. Adam Hoskins. That's all I really know about him. Except that he's a Methodist. Yes, but... What's he doing here? What happened to him? He died. Aunt Martha... Men don't just get into window seats and die. No, Mortimer. He died first. Well, how? Oh, Mortimer, don't be so inquisitive. The gentleman died because he drank some wine with poison in it. Elderberry wine. How did the poison get in the wine? Oh, we put it in the wine because it's less noticeable. When it's in tea, it has a distinct odor. You put it in the wine? Yes, and we put Mr. Hoskins in the window seat because Elaine's father was coming to tea. Then you knew what you'd done. You didn't want Dr. Harper to see the body. Well, not a tea. That wouldn't have been very nice. <laughs> now, Mortimer, dear, you, you can forget all about it. Teddy's down in Panama right now. Panama? You know, the cellar. He always calls the cellar Panama. And the steps over there are San Juan Hill. He's down in Panama now, digging the lock. You mean you're going to bury Mr. Hoskins in the cellar? Of course, dear. That's what we did with the others. Well, I don't think you should... Others? The other gentlemen. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Let me get this straight. When you say others, do you mean others? More than one? Others? Oh, yes, sir. This is 11, isn't it, Abby? No, dear. This makes 12. <laughs> Well, you, you really shouldn't count the first one. After all, he just died. Just died? Well, Martha means without any help from us. Mr. Midgley was his name. He was a Baptist. And he came here looking for a room. It was right after you moved to New York, Mortimer. It didn't seem right to leave that lovely room empty with so many people needing it, so we advertised that Mr. Midgley applied. He was so lonely, no kith or kin. We felt so sorry for him. And then when his heart attack came and he sat there dead in that chair. Remember, Martha? It was just like old times. Yes. <laughs> Grandfather was a doctor, you know. He always had a cadaver or two around the house. <laughs> Only Teddy insisted that Mr. Midgley was a yellow fever victim and had to be buried at once. So we buried him in Panama. Yes. Mm. He looked so peaceful, didn't he, Abby? Oh, so serene. And we made up our minds right then and there that if we could help other lonely old men find the same peace, we would. So that's, that's how it all started, that man walking in and dropping dead. Oh, well, of course, we realized we couldn't depend on that Mortimer, always happening. Mortimer, so, uh, you know those jars of poison that have been up in Grandfather's laboratory all these years? And your Aunt Martha has such a knack for mixing things. <laughs> well, dear... For a gallon of elderberry wine, I take one teaspoonful of arsenic and then add half a teaspoonful of strychnine and then just a pinch of cyanide. Mm. <laughs> Should have quite a kick. Oh, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, one of our gentlemen found time to say, how delicious. <laughs> Look, 
Look, Andy's, hmm? I, I don't know how to explain it to you, but you can't do things like this. It's against the law. It's not a nice thing to do. Well, I mean, well, this has developed into a very bad habit. Mortimer, we don't stop you from doing things you like to do. Why should you interfere with us? Because you... Listen, I've got to rush into town and cover that play. Do a lot of things. There's not a minute to spare. Are you sure you haven't time for dinner? I'm going to try a new recipe. Uh, thanks. I, I couldn't eat a thing. This is it, Doctor. Yes, I remember this door. Even when I was a child, it always sounded like inner sanctum. Come in. Oh, Johnny, it is dark in here. That means the family still live here. The Brewsters were always sparing with lights. Is that so? Hey, who turns on the lights? I did. Who are you? Yes, what are you gentlemen doing here? Why, Aunt Abby, Aunt Martha, it's Jonathan. You get out of here. But I'm Jonathan, your nephew, Jonathan. Oh, no, you're not. You're nothing like Jonathan, so don't pretend you are. But I am. I'm Jonathan. And this is Dr. Einstein. Abby, his voice does sound like Jonathan's, but his face... Have you been in an accident? No. My face... Dr. Einstein is responsible for that. He changes people's faces. I ought no, to... Easy, Johnny, easy. <laughs> Don't worry, ladies. The last five years, I give Johnny three new faces. I give him another one right away. You'd better, when my own family doesn't even... Oh, Johnny, I'm sorry. I saw that horror picture just before I operated, and I was a little drunk. But anyway, now you are home... Ladies, how often he tells me about Brooklyn, about his house, about his aunts that he loves so much. Oh, please, you, you, you must know him. S speak to him. Tell him so. Well, J Jonathan, it's been a long time since you ran away from us. Yes, where have you been all these years? Oh, England, South Africa, Australia, the last five years. Dr. Einstein and I have been in Chicago. Really? We were in Chicago for the World's Fair. We didn't like it. We found Chicago awfully warm. Yeah, it got too hot for us, too. Well, Jonathan, it was nice to see you again. I, I mean, if you're in a hurry to get somewhere... Not at all, Aunt Abby. But, uh, 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 Martha, but, dear, Martha, we mustn't let soup boil over. Um, Jonathan, if you'll excuse us for a minute. Of course. Come along, Martha. To work fast. The police, the police have got pictures of your face. To find a place to operate. And we've got to find a place for Mr. Spinalzo, too. Don't waste any worry on that rat. But we can't leave a dead body in the rumble seat. Oh, oh, you shouldn't have killed him, Johnny. He was a nice fellow. He gives us a lift, and what happens? He said I looked like Boris Karloff. Oh. <laughs> Don't. Very, Johnny. As soon as I operate and change your face again... Wait a minute. I know just the place. You do? Look, if this family hasn't changed, and I'm sure it hasn't, I'll bet my grandfather's old laboratory is just the, just the way he left. Oh, good. And when you've done with me, why, we can make a fortune here. In Brooklyn? Of course. Practically everybody in Brooklyn needs a new face. <laughs> 
But, Johnny, your aunts, I don't think they want us here. Leave that to me, Doctor. I'll handle it. Why, this house will be our headquarters for years. Oh, that would be beautiful, Johnny. This nice, quiet house and those sweet old ladies. I love them already. I get the bags, yeah? Doctor, we must wait till we're invited. But you just said... We'll be invited. And if they say no? Doctor, two helpless old women. <laughs> Sit down and make yourself comfortable. Ah, it's like comes true a beautiful dream. It's so nice and peaceful here. That's what makes this house so perfect for us. It's so peaceful. Huh? Simon what? Hillman, charge! Charge! What the fuck? What the fuck? Well, I must say, my dear aunts, it was very kind of you to invite the doctor and myself to dinner. We didn't really invite you, Jonathan. You invited yourself. Well, it just shows you I feel at home already. I'm sure I'm going to like it here. Like it here? You, you mean you're going to stay? Oh, hadn't I told you? Now, Jonathan, you needn't think you're going uh, to stay. Abby, uh, uh, the dinner dishes. Shouldn't we get started on them, dear? Huh? Oh, oh, oh yes, 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 of course. Jonathan, we'll speak to you later. <laughs> Johnny! Johnny, just now that teddy takes me down the cellar, and what do you think I find? What? The Panama Canal. The Panama Canal. Uh, listen, listen. He digs a hole down there. Just the right size for Mr. Spinalzo. Say, that's an idea. What a joke on my aunts to bury a body in their cellar. <laughs> but how are we going to get him in? Get him in through those French windows. We can hide him in the window seat. The window seat? It's perfect for a corpse. Why, when I was a youngster, I used to hide there myself. Then, a little later on, when my aunts have gone to bed, we'll take him down and bury him. But, but, but suppose they come in here and find us. My dear doctor, you don't understand. My aunts are doing the dinner dishes. They'll be in the kitchen for quite some time. Oh, they will? Yes, they've always kept a very neat home. Shall we go? But, Abby, are you sure they've gone out? Yes, they're out there at their car. Besides, we've got to get Mr. Hoskins out of this window seat. Yes, poor dear. He can't be very comfortable. And when Mortimer gets back, he'll take care of Jonathan. There'll be an awful row. They've never liked each other. Martha, I will not invite Jonathan to Mr. Hoskins' services. Abby, dear, we better hurry. Yes, let's see if Teddy is still in the cellar. Teddy, are you down there in Panama? Who dares call the president by his first name? Mr. President, we've got another gentleman. Is he dead? A yellow fever victim. Teddy, I'm afraid you'll have to hurry. Ah, that's it, Doctor. That's fine. See how nicely he fits? Just like this window seat was made to order. Now we'll go upstairs. When my aunts have gone to sleep, we'll come down and... Put him away. And after that... I know, Johnny, I know. I operate. Well, everything seems quiet enough. They must be sleeping, I guess. Might as well have a little light down here. And that's better. Now, let me see. First, I've got to get Hoskins out of the window seat. It's not very pleasant, but it's got to be done. 
Come on, old man. I'm sorry to disturb you. <laughs> Another one! Mortimer! Darling, you're back. Just in time for the services. Aunt Abby, Aunt Martha! There's another body in the window seat. Look! Now, who can that be? <laughs> Why, it's a stranger. My goodness, how did he get in there? Now, wait a minute, you two. You can't get out of this. That's another one of your gentlemen. Mortimer, how can you say such a thing? That man's an imposter. But you admitted... <laughs> you admitted you put Mr. Hoskins in the window seat. Well, yes, I, I did, but I... Well, this I... man couldn't have just got the idea for Mr. Hoskins. <laughs> By the way, where is Mr. Hoskins? Teddy took him down to Panama. Yes, he's down there waiting for the services. Abby, dear, we've always wanted to hold a double funeral. No, Martha. I will not read services over a total stranger. Stranger? Aunt Abby, there are 12 men buried down there in the cellar. You admit you poisoned them. Now you try to tell me this one is a stranger? Well, of course. Darling, you don't think I'd stoop to telling my fib? Second act of the Lady Esther Screen Guild play will follow in a moment. Now, a word from Lady Esther. When was the last time you really saw another woman give your skin one of those admiring looks? A little envious, because it was so fresh and clear and young-looking. When your skin does not have that clear, fresh, young look, skin specialists tell me it's usually because of an oily, stubborn film, which clouds the skin, makes it look tired and older. The thing to do is just this. Smooth on Lady Esther four-purpose face cream and then wipe it off. Then, the important part, at least once a day, repeat this treatment immediately. Again, smooth on Lady Esther four-purpose face cream and again wipe it off. The first time, remove surface makeup and dirt. But it's the important second time which gets after that clinging, clouding, oily film. And immediately, your skin looks cleaner, fresher, clearer, and far younger than you can possibly expect. Yes, immediately you will see and feel a big difference. Because each time you use it, Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream does the four things your skin needs most for beauty. And it's so gentle and soft, you don't have to massage and rub at your skin. My cream itself does the work, not your fingers. And it needs no help from any other cream. Try this with Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream. Sure as you do, someone will say to you, why, I've never seen you look so rested, so fresh and young. You know, you look like a young girl in love. And now, Lady Esther presents the second act of Arsenic and Old Lace, starring Eddie Albert and Boris Karloff with Verna Felton and Jane Morgan. Mortimer thinks he's going crazy until his brother Jonathan walks in. That makes the answer fairly apparent, and Mortimer shifts right into high. He tells him he's going to call the police and show them the very dead Mr. Spesalzo. And it looks like his bluff is going to work when Dr. Einstein comes rushing in. Johnny! Johnny! Come along, doctor. It seems that we are leaving. No, Johnny, wait. 
just now that Teddy takes me down to Panama again. And guess what? What? Johnny, we stay. We got an ace in the hole. Now, Jonathan discovers poor dead Mr. Hoskins, and that changes things all around again, especially since Mortimer has to leave to finish some very urgent business. And now, while they're awaiting Mortimer's return, the two old ladies are quite upset. Jonathan, will you please tell us what you plan doing with your Mr. Spinalzo? Going to bury him with your Mr. Hoskins, I suppose. Oh, no, you won't. We won't have any strangers buried in our cellar. And besides, the cellar's crowded already. Yes. There are 12 graves down there right now. 12 graves? Well, you can see that leaves us very little room, and we're going to need it. You, you, you mean you two ladies have murdered all those? Murdered? Certainly not. It's one of our charities. Why, what we've been doing is a mercy. You've done that here in this house, and you've buried them down there? Johnny, we have been chasing all over the world. They stay right here at home and do just as good as you do. What? You got 12? They got 12. I've got 13. No, Johnny, 12. 13. No, Johnny, you can't count the one in South Bend. He died of pneumonia. He wouldn't have got pneumonia if I hadn't shot him. No, Johnny, he don't count. He don't count. You, you got 12 and they got 12. The old ladies are just as good as you are. Oh, they are, are they? Well, that's easily taken care of. All I need is one more. That's all. Just one more. Well, here I am. Oh, please, young man, take my advice. Go away from this house. Go away now while Johnny is still busy in the cellar with Mr. Spinalzo. I'm sorry, doctor. I'm expecting someone, someone very important. Besides, I've still got to write my review. I tell you, Johnny is in a bad mood, and when he's like this, he is a madman. Don't worry, I'll take care of Jonathan, too. Ah, Himmel, don't you got no sense? Don't you learn nothing from those plays, you see? Are you kidding? You think people in plays act intelligently? You should have seen the one I had to cover tonight. There's a fellow in this play, knows he's in a house with murderers. He's even been warned. But does he get out? No, he stays there. Now, I ask you, doctor, is that intelligent? You are asking me. He didn't even have sense enough to be on guard. For instance, the murderer invites him to sit down. Oh, you mean, won't you sit down? <laughs> Believe it or not, that was in there, too. So what happens? He sits down, just like this. What do you think they tie him with? What? The curtain cord. That's very convenient. A little too convenient. When are these playwrights going to use some imagination? So he sits there, the big dope. This fellow who's supposed to be bright, he sits there just like I'm sitting here letting murder walk up behind him, just waiting to be trussed up and gagged. You're quite right, my dear brother. That fellow wasn't very smart. Well, he seems to be gagged and tied quite well. All right, doctor. We go to work. Uh, please, Johnny, first I need a drink. Oh, there's some wine here. Oh, yes, the elderberry wine, by all means. I pour you one, too. Oh, how I need this. Please, doctor, your manners. Not without a toast. To my dear dead Charge brother. Me! Charge! Charge! Ah, Himmel! That idiot. He goes next. You hear me? He's next. No! Oh, no, Johnny, not Teddy. We'll get to him later. Come on, we've got to work fast. 
Hey, what is this? It's the cops. Listen, that Teddy's got to quit blowing his horn. We promised the neighbors. All right, officer. We'll speak to him. I better talk to him myself. Where's the lights? Ah, that's better. I'll go up to his room and I... Uh, Hey, ain't that Mr. Mortimer? Uh, yes, it is. Well, what's he doing tied up like that? Well, well he... Uh, he was explaining the play he saw tonight. <laughs> That's what happened to the fellow in the play. No kidding? Well, I wouldn't want to interfere. Hey, O'Hara! Oh, hiya, Brophy. How's the prowl car business? Ah, kind of warm. It's on steaming. Did he get you on the radio? Yeah, he says he got so many complaints from the neighbors, you'd think they dropped an atom bomb on Flatbush Avenue. He says we got to take Teddy and... Uh, Hey, what's that guy trussed up like that? Oh, that's Mr. Mortimer. He's playing. Well, get him untied. He looks like he's choking. Oh, sure. It won't take me but a second. Officer, to... perhaps you better let me... Hey, who is this guy? Uh, that's, that's my brother. And you'd better stick around because he... Don't listen to him, officer. He's dangerous. Huh? That's why we had to tie him up. He's the lowest kind of person in the whole world. A dramatic critic? <laughs> and my two aunts. Huh, you think they're sweet, charming old ladies, do you? Well, there are 13 bodies buried in their cellar. Listen, you be careful what you say about your aunts. They happen to be friends of ours. Hey, Brophy, can you imagine with a puss like his? Why, he looks just like Boris Carlo. Why, are you... Hey, wait a minute. Oh, hey, Brophy, help me. Let go, Brophy. you. What's the idea? You hear me? I said, let go. Oh, there. Better take care of him for a while. Uh, what was fighting him? Choking me like that. I don't know. When you said he looked like it... Hey, wait a minute. Uh, this guy is wanted. You sure? Sure. Don't you ever read through, detective? <laughs> he escaped from an asylum. Well, well, that's the way he was described. He looked like Karloff. Is, is there a reward? Yeah, yeah. Help me lug him out to the car. But, but how about the bodies in the cellar? Bodies in the cellar? Ain't that enough to show you he's nuts? Hey, hey, what about the other one? You you know who I mean, Mr. Mortimer. The doctor. Yeah, he must have walked out. Oh, don't worry, we'll pick him up. Come on. Uh, Mr. Mortimer, you'll excuse us, huh? I, I mean, seeing as hot as a reward. Yeah, I understand. Uh, but you will take care of Teddy, though. Absolutely. Tonight. <laughs> Aunt Martha, Aunt Abby, I know it's very late, but you see... Mr. Witherspoon came all the way over here. He's the superintendent of Happydale, you know. He is? How nice. Yes, and all the papers have been signed, and he's going to take Teddy with him tonight. Really, Mr. Witherspoon? Well, that was my understanding. Mortimer, does Teddy know? Uh, not exactly. Uh, he thinks he's going on a safari to Africa. Abby, dear, we'll miss Teddy, won't we? We love him so. Oh, I've fixed all that, too, Aunt Martha. You and Aunt Abby are going along just so you can be close to Teddy. Why, Mortimer, how thoughtful of you. Yes, isn't that nice? And, Mortimer, you can have the house. The house? Of course, you'll need it if you're going to marry Elaine. Elaine? Holy Toledo, she must still be waiting. Excuse me, I've got to go and call her. He's such a good boy, Mr. Witherspoon. Yes, yes, I'm sure. You know, uh, since we're all going away together, I... I think we ought to celebrate, have a party. I'm sorry, but I'm here in an official capacity. Oh, that's too bad. Tell me, does your family live at Happydale, too? I'm afraid I haven't any family. You're all alone. <laughs> oh, isn't that too bad? You know, Martha, if Mr. Witherspoon won't uh, let us give him a party... At least we might offer him a glass of wine. 
Of course. The elderberry wine. Elderberry wine? We make it ourselves. Well, uh, of course, at Happydale, our relationship will be much more formal. But here... Oh, we're very informal. Yes. Uh, go ahead, Martha. Uh, pour him a glass. On behalf of the Motion Picture Relief Fund, thank you, Boris Karloff, Eddie Albert, Jane Morgan, and Verna Felton for your delightful performances. And now, before we tell you about next week's show, here is a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Have you ever had this tragic little experience? You've gone someplace feeling wonderfully well and gay and happy, and then you see yourself in a mirror, and you suddenly realize your skin looks tired, and you look older than you are. This happens far too often to many women who never quite get rid of a clinging, oily film which clouds their skin and makes it look tired. When you remove that clouding film, you see a tremendous difference. Once each day, smooth on Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream and then wipe it off. Now, the important part, immediately repeat this treatment. The first time removes only surface soil and makeup. The second application gets after that clinging, clouding film. Immediately, your skin feels smoother and softer, and your own eyes see the new tone and color, the fresh, clear, younger look. Because Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream by itself not only thoroughly cleanses your skin, it also softens your skin, helps nature refine the pores, and leaves a perfect base for powder. It needs no help from any other cream. Do try Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream the way I suggested a moment ago. Look carefully at your skin before you do, and then look at it after the treatment. I'm certain the difference you see will make you very happy. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present Love Letters. It will star Loretta Young and Rex Harrison. Be sure to listen. Arsenic and Old Lace was produced and directed for Lady Esther by Bill Lawrence, adapted by Harry Cronman, and was presented through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of Deception, starring Betty Davis. Boris Karloff will soon be seen in the Cecil B. DeMille Paramount production, Unconquered. Eddie Albert can now be seen in the Republic picture, Rendezvous with Annie. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. This is Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther... Thank you, and good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, from right around Thanksgiving Day, uh, November 25th, 1946, Arsenic and Old Lace from the Lady Esther Screen Guild Players. And we have our special guest, Sarah Karloff, here with us. Sarah, what did you think of that one? Oh, I loved it. I just loved it. It is it's such a gem. Do you have any stories, memories, whatever, of arsenic and old lace in general? Well, um, I know that my father was invited to lunch by um, Lindsay and Krauss to try to get him to agree to to be in the play and my father refused immediately 
And he said, oh, no, 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 I couldn't possibly do that. I've, I've worked in film, and it's been years and years since I've done any stage work. And so um, throughout the course of the lunch, they explained the play to him in the, the script, and they also told him who was going to be in the original cast. And he was, again, just overwhelmed by the quality of the cast and the, these experienced Broadway players. And he was even more convinced he had no business taking on such a, a chore. And during the course of the lunch, he said, well, you know, it would there would have to be at least three more parts greater than his, and and on and on. And then he agreed, well, he'd, he'd read through a play, and little by little they talked him into at least reading with the cast. And ultimately he started rehearsing for the play, and I guess he blew all his lines, and, and he, my father had originally had not only the lisp he was known for, but he also had a stutter, and that came back, and he he just couldn't remember his lines, and he just, I guess rehearsals were just a disaster, at least in his mind, and the cast was very patient and very kind to him, and but he just felt he just wasn't up to it. And he took himself for a long walk one day and he decided, no, he was letting everybody down. And no, he came back from his walk and he announced that he was just going to have to drop out of it. He just wasn't up to it. And they talked him into just trying one more time, Boris, you, you can do this. And let's just go over it one more time. And... Evidently, his stammer disappeared. Did a, he did a much better job uh, in that rehearsal. So he determined that he could do it, and he stayed with it. And the rest is, is theater history. It was one of the longest-running plays on, in Broadway history until I think My Fair Lady came along. And uh, it played for nearly three years on Broadway, and then it went on the road. And it's it just is a wonderful play, and my father had such a good time doing it and loved every minute of it. We moved to New York from Hollywood. We lived in Connecticut and Darien, Connecticut, and my my father commuted every night and um, just had the time of his life. Um, and he was so glad that he did that play and had a wonderful time and got stunning reviews. He was so disappointed when the, they would not release him for to do the film. Raymond Massey, I think, ultimately did the film, and my father was so disappointed he couldn't be in the film. But he loved doing that play. It was one of the favorite things of his whole career. I loved the play, and I, I never got to see him in it live because I was way too young. But I have seen it. I saw him on the road in it, and I did get to see it eventually, a copy of it, because it's in the UCLA, I think it's UCLA archives, but I never did get to see him in it live on Broadway, which is one of my great regrets. But um, I just adore that play. It's it's hysterical. What so, um, studio was he under contract to that wouldn't release him no, to do it? the play itself. 
the play itself, they would not release him from the play to do it. Oh, he was performing the play, and in order yeah. to do the movie, he would have had to have exited Gotten the play. The ah, mm -hmm. okay. And because his one line in the play uh, brought the house down every night, uh, they wouldn't release him from, from the play to do the film. Which exact line is that that brought the house down every night? Um, when asked why he killed uh, Spinoza, uh, he said, because he said, I look like Boris Karloff. Oh, okay, yes. All right, and before we before we leave today, I surprised uh, Sarah Karloff with a little radio excerpt at the beginning, talking about her, her father bringing pictures of her to show people on the set of Son of Frankenstein. And I have another little surprise for her to end today's show. I'm going to let you all hear something, again, right off the original transcription disc from my personal collection. It's from March 16th, 1938. And this is an episode, or a little bit of an episode, of the Ozzie and Harriet show. And the special guests on that show that night were Boris Karloff and Bella Lugosi. So, Sarah, listen to this. Okay. It's true, Fag. I've got the three Bedlingtons and a Scotty. And then there's another creature. He has a head and a tail and four legs. But then his resemblance to any dog you've ever seen completely vanishes. I had a pup like that myself when I was a kid. They kind of do things to you. They certainly do, Ozzy. I gather that you uh, sort of like dogs, Boris. Well, I think they're kind of nice to have around. And as a matter of fact, one of my favorite poems is about a dog. It's called The Supplication of the Black Aberdeen by Rudyard Kipling. It's about a little Scotty who's been very, very bad. And he comes back to his master to beg forgiveness for his misbehavior. He looks up at his owner, stern and forbidding in his chair by the fire. The Scotty's big eyes grow bigger. His tail wags very slowly as he fears for Roth to come. He pants a little and he says, I pray my little body and whole span of years is yours, my owner and my man, for thou hast made me. Unto you I owe this dim, distressed half-soul that hurts me so. Compact of every crime, but nonetheless broken by knowledge of its naughtiness. Put me not from your life, tis all I know. If you forsake me, where shall I go? I have been driven forth on gross offense that took no reckoning of my penitence. And in my desolation, faithless me have crept for comfort to a woman's knee. Now I return, self-drawn, to meet the just reward of riot, theft, and breach of trust. Put me not from your life, though this is so. If you forsake me, where shall I go? Can a gift turn you? I will bring mine all. My secret bone, my throwing stick, my ball, or... Or would you sport? Then watch me hunt a while, chasing not after conies, but your smile. Content as breathless on the turf I sit, you should deride my little legs and wit. Or keep me in your life for a fool's show. If you deny me, where shall I go? Is the dark gone? The light of eyes restored, the countenance turned me would, O oh my lord, the paw accepted and for all to see, the abject sinner throned upon the knee. 
the ears be wrung and muzzles scratched because he is forgiven and all is as it was? Ah, now am I in your life and... And since tis so, that cat awaits the judgment. May I go? Thank you, Boris Carlos. Bella, like most of the Hollywood horror men, is a fine and kindly gentleman. A Hungarian by birth and long a member of the Hungarian National Theater, he came to this country about 20 years ago and was a very successful actor on the Broadway stage. His screen debut was made in Dracula, and it made him famous throughout the country. After Dracula, he made many more scare operas, and at one time he played in a sort of a super, super series of three fright epics with Boris Karloff. Privately, I don't think he would hurt a fly. Meet Bella Lugosi. Vanny, 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 Christa, Bella, 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 Bella. Sold to Bella Lugosi. What in the world is that? Why, Bella, that's just Ozzy and Harriet's way of making you feel at home. Don't you like it? Frankly, Peg, I don't. I have a, a very weak heart, and I don't see any reason why they should try to scare him to death. You have a weak heart. Oh, but definitely, my dear. I get scared like anything. Oh, I don't believe it. But it's true. If someone says boo to me, I'm liable to faint. Boo. That's why I was never able to look at my pictures. Once I saw myself in Dracula, and I was home in bed for a week. Boo. It's a terrible thing to be as timid as I am. Terrible. Boo. Boo. Boo, 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 boo. Like that, the horror men turn out to be crooners. Boris so, Karloff and Bella Lugosi sing. We're horrible. We're horrible, men. Horrible, horrible men. We're villainous, villainous, lecherous, treacherous, tuffiers, ruffiers, men. The crime we commit would make strong men afraid. You can blame us for it, for the rent must be paid. We're oh, horrible, 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 horrible men. We're horrible, 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 horrible men. We're villainous, killinous, treacherous, lecherous, gruffiest, copiest men. Though the movies would make me a terrible brute, when my makeup is off, I am really quite cute. We're horrible, 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 horrible men. Had you ever heard that before, Sarah? <laughs> I've heard the horrible men. Yeah, I have heard them do that. Okay, and <laughs> the little the, the, the little poem about his dog was kind of cute too. Oh, I know that's darling. I'd never heard that before. That's from the same show, I guess. Somebody may have put out the little song "Horrible Men" before, but I don't think anybody's heard the little portion about the dog. I, I never heard that before. I know my folks. At one time, had 22 dogs. They had Bellingtons, Scotties, and Westies. Aha, so he wasn't just making up this little dog poem. He really loved dogs. 
Oh, he adored dogs. My folks brought the first Bedlington Terrier from um, England to the west coast of California in the 30s. And I, to this day, have a Bedlington Terrier. Wow, great. Okay, well, I thought I'd surprise you with that little bit of audio. Oh, that's wonderful. I'd never heard the Scotty thing before. Good, good. Well, all right. Very interesting stuff. Thank you so much for those those memories. We're going to exit out of this particular episode, and uh, we'll be back next week with another one. Uh, I want to thank Jerry Hendigas for transferring the original transcription discs of this Lady Esther Screen Guild player uh, show for today's use. Uh, and it sounded great right off the original transcriptions. I could hear him drop the needle at the beginning when <laughs> when it started on the transcription discs. Uh, so very nice of, of Jerry to provide that. Uh, we will be back on Thursday with another episode of the Good Old Days of Radio Show, and we will have Sarah back for that one, and then back again next Tuesday as well. So until uh, this coming Thursday with... Uh, More from Sarah Karloff on the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Teftiller saying goodbye. (laughs) 